Welcome to Catholic Light. Join me, Becca Doherty, each week as we shed a little light while keeping the conversation light. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Catholic Light. Thanks for joining me. Recently, I was praying Lexio Divina with uh, the passage of the Transfiguration. So, the, if you're listening in real time, yesterday's gospel, uh, Sunday gospel, and I was struck by this line. Uh, so, this comes from Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17, verses one through eight. So, Peter, James, and John go up the mountain with Jesus. All of a sudden, Jesus is transfigured. You know, his his face shines brightly. His clothes become white as light. Um, and then Peter, I mean, I love Peter for so many reasons, but like that impetuousness or like that excitability where he's like, oh my gosh, this is great. While we're here, let's just build three tents and never leave. <laughs> like, So good. So Peter starts to go on and let's see, where is it? Verse five, while he was still speaking. So Peter is still like kind of chatting while he was still speaking. All of a sudden uh, it says, behold, a bright cloud cast a shadow over them then from the cloud came a voice that said this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased so I was just struck by that line while he was still speaking as though we can picture Peter like my gosh god this is great oh my gosh it's so good we're here and like this is what we're gonna do and here's how should we proceed we should proceed while he was still speaking God's just basically like okay Peter here we go this is my beloved son and you know th- this is what we're we're actually gonna do and so just praying with that, I just imagined, um, you know, I, I'm one of those prayers where I'm, I'm very listy with my intentions, my petitions, my thanksgiving. So Jesus, I pray for this, this, and this, and I want to thank you for this, this, and this, and, um, you know, please bless my day, and, you know, here's what I'm thinking, and here's what I want to do, and here's what I'm sorry for, and I should imagine Jesus being like, okay, stop, and now here's what we're going to do. So I just pray for, um, just for all of us, and for for everyone, everywhere, that uh, we respond to the grace that we we continue to strive. We see Peter just just so in love with the Lord, and um, you know, okay, this is great, and we'll just stay here with you forever because we love you. Um, that we continue to to strive to come closer and closer to Jesus, and as by His grace we journey closer to Him, we're also ready at any moment for Him to reveal His glory, to reveal His plan, to um, you know, while we're still speaking, say like, hey, Becca, stop talking. Here's what we're going to do. Um, and just trust that that his plans are, are so great and so beautiful for, for each of us, um, which is especially hard to remember when we're in the midst of suffering or something difficult is going on. Um, and so we pray, Lord, that, that you'll give us the grace to trust, especially in those difficult moments, that, that you have a plan for us, you're with us, um, that God willing, we'll see your, your glory revealed in heaven one day and maybe even along the way. Uh, of this life. Um, I was speaking with a, a friend and parishioner after Mass today, and she was basically detailing how, you know, she and her husband wanted to move closer to, we, we live in this very charming town, my husband calls it uh, a hallmark town, where there's like little shops and cafes and restaurants, and so she and her husband wanted to move closer to the center of town so that they could walk into town from from their home. And um, so just after they purchased a home that was walkable to town, um, she was basically diagnosed with with something strange and weird where her therapy is she needs to walk slowly but regularly. And she said, she was just marveling, saying, um, 
God is so good. And whenever I think like, you know, I have it together or like, here's my plan. Here's what we're going to do. God's like, "Mm, I see you. I actually already have a plan for this because I know it's going to happen. And I love you so much that I've actually already provided for this. So watch it unfold, girlfriend. So uh, so if you're in the midst of, of a trying time, a difficult moment, trust that, that God is with you. First and foremost, he loves you. He's walking with you each step of the way. And um, he has a plan to help you, to help each of us, you know, navigate this and um, make it through in a way that will transform us, God willing, transform others and bring us closer, closer to him and closer to the, the beautiful life and fulfillment that he has. For each of us. So St. Peter, pray for us. Let us build three tents. It's so good we're here, Lord. Let's just stay on the mountain forever. So on today's episode, um, we get into dun, 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 section two of part three, where we specifically go through each of the Ten Commandments. And um, I taught, as I've mentioned before, I taught teenagers for much of my my illustrious career as a theology teacher. And, um, you know, they always wanted or often wanted to get into kind of the the, the moral debates, um, you know, about all these like sticky issues or controversial issues. And so, yeah, for many, this is a fun part of the catechism where we drill down a little more deeply and concretely into the moral life, um, which I think is is worth pointing out. It's just one, it's one, it's a big dimension, but one dimension of our faith. So morality is often equated with the whole of Catholicism or the whole of Christianity, Um and it's not not all of our faith is just about what we should and shouldn't do um but uh you know is a is a great part of it and a a great thing to discuss think about pray about and then live by the grace of god so if you're following along in a physical catechism and specifically if you're following along in the the green and gold catechism it's on pages 496 let's flip to this 496 and 497 so in between part two section excuse me in between part three section one and then part three section two We have uh, the Ten Commandments laid out for us in three columns. The first column details the commandments as they're detailed in the book of Exodus. The Ten Commandments are then given to us or recounted to us again in the book of Deuteronomy. So Exodus and Deuteronomy are two books of the Torah or the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, I think I got that ordering wrong. But two out of the first five books of the Old Testament, first five books of the Bible, um, which our Jewish brothers and sisters call the the Torah. And then the third column is entitled A Traditional Catechetical Formula. So so if you don't have the catechism in front of you, um, I'll just try to walk you through this so you can visualize it. First column at the top says Exodus chapter 20, verses 2 through 17. And then it's in those verses that the Ten Commandments are recounted to us. Then top of the second column, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 6 through 21. The Ten Commandments are detailed for us again. And then at the top of the third column, a traditional catechetical formula. Catechetic is the, the teaching of our faith. And so a traditional catechetical formula is basically a, a very simple way that each commandment is presented to us. So for example, in Exodus 20, so that first column, um, it says, 
Dun, 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 dun. Let's go down to the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your manservant or your maidservant or your cattle or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Deuteronomy chapter 5 says, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then our traditional catechetical formula is, the third commandment is, remember to keep holy the Lord's day. So um, this is a a practical way that the church hands on to us through the centuries, uh, simple, basic, but also profound, uh, concise way of, of hearing, understanding, learning the commandments. So just imagine in your theology classroom, your CCD classroom, um, that the third commandment was detailed. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day, okay, where as the church hands on to us simply, remember to keep holy the Lord's day. And then we can unpack that in a more detailed way. So this is a a nice reference point if you want to compare um, the wording in Exodus versus the wording in Deuteronomy and then, um, you know, a, a very simple way of, of teaching it, understanding it, handing it on under that traditional catechetical formula. What we'll focus on today comes from paragraph 2057. And in 2057, uh, the catechism talks about how the the Decalogue, which very simply means the, the 10 words, so log, we're familiar with Jesus as the logos uh, or the word of God, and then deca means 10. Um, so the Decalogue are the 10 words that God gives us, his 10 commandments, uh, basically the, the natural law, what's, what's written on every human heart is boiled down to these, these 10 words, 10 commandments, um, because human beings were not listening to the natural law written on their hearts. God spelled it out very clearly for each of us so that we did not have to wonder, uh, the things to which we are called. And paragraph 2057 talks about how the, the Decalogue or the 10 commandments are a path of life. The These are the conditions, the catechism says, of a life freed from the slavery of sin. So to live the Ten Commandments is a life freed from the slavery of sin. And I think that's very profound, and I think it's worth returning to again and again because the world uh, so often misconstrues it or misrepresents it, and that's that um, that God and faith and the practice of, I think, any religion, not just Christianity or Catholicism, but any profoundly practicing Jew or Muslim or Hindu um, uh, it's not simply f- following these rules that uh, bind us, um, keep us down, confine us, but they actually do the very opposite. They free us to live uh, an abundant life, a life that is that is free of the slavery of sin because we are not made for sin. Sin, as we've talked about before, wounds our humanity. It hurts us. It holds us back. And so to live the Ten Commandments is to to live in freedom, okay? To to live this more open, um, beautiful life for which we're made, and so this this particular passage or section of the catechism um, just so happened to coincide for me with um, listening to a podcast episode that a friend sent. Uh, so my friend Maria Niels. Uh, who's a, a Catholic Light podcast listener, sent me an episode from the podcast is called 1,000 Hours Outside. And it's this podcast host, 
podcast hosted by a woman, Ginny Urich. I'd never heard of it before, but Maria said, you know, she, she texted it to me. She said, this is a great episode. You know, you should totally listen to it. So on this episode, Ginny hosts Dr. Victoria Dunkley. So it's a a woman who works, um, I think, primarily with children on a variety of, of things. But she, throughout her career, she started to see the effects of screen time, basically, on children's brains and um, mannerisms and learning and, you know, activities. And so she wrote this book called Reset Your Child's Brain, where she talks about uh, taking a, a four-week fast from screens and resetting the way that that children approach technology and and screens specifically. So there were some really interesting things in this podcast. She talked about how we often think of interactive screen time as being a little bit better than passive screen time, so much better to, um, you know, my daughter Sophia used this website called First in Math where she would work on addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, doing like fun, colorful games on her the laptop that the school gave her. Um, so we often think or are told that that kind of screen time is worth it because a child is learning and interacting with knowledge, you know, le- learning things, growing, etc. versus Sophia just sitting in front of the TV watching a show um, would be like bad screen time. So this do- Dr. Victoria, Dr. Dunkley said that um, that that's actually a, a complete misunderstanding that um, interactive technology actually makes our brain release more dopamine and we actually get more hooked on that screen time than passively watching a show or a movie. She also talked about how because so many children are looking at screens to learn, to be entertained, to communicate. Um, their eyes are experiencing, I think it was macular degeneration, something that's um, that happens in people who are much older is now happening in children because they're looking at a, a 2D images rather than the 3D world around them. She said even when we read a book, our eyes see the texture of the pages, the binding, et cetera. But when we look at a flat screen, we're, our eyes are adjusting to 2D, 2D, 2D. And so we're seeing these eye diseases basically in children that we don't typically see for decades later in people. So really interesting and sad stuff. Um, but one thing that I thought was so striking and then – pertinent to today's conversation is this. She said that um, she worked with uh, an occupational therapist who basically did this very simple exercise with kids where they had to they had to look up and then reach above their heads and this was because they were so, they spent so much of their day looking down at screens that the the muscles in their neck and back I guess were developing in such a way that um, it was affecting their development in many other areas of their life. And so to help that development uh, prosper as it should, she would have them look up, look up, look up, reach up, reach up, reach up, because that was the very opposite of what they were doing with screens throughout the day. So I, as I was listening to this, I was thinking, Catholic nerd that I am, like, oh my gosh, that's what we, when we choose uh, against God or we're... um, we're grasping after what we think is good rather than looking up to God and trusting in what he knows is good. That becomes our disposition, and we are, we're hurt by that. Our quote-unquote muscles grow in such a way that, that our humanity is, is made smaller and deformed. Um, 
and the very opposite of what the world preaches, you know, when the world says, like, what did Sophia say? Oh, we she, um, blah, blah, blah. Long story short, Sophia took a friend. I took Sophia and a friend to a trampoline park. And um, basically her little friend was nervous to go off this one jump into, like, a big onto a big trampoline and I guess she worked up the courage she did it and so Sophia and this little friend came back and Sophia said mom she just believed in herself she believed in herself and she was able to do it and I'm thinking like eh, that's something we're gonna have to work out there <laughs> you know the world will say like believe in yourself trust in yourself like you've got this you can do whatever you want to do be whoever you want to be and um you know, I mean, there's an element of truth to that, to hard work, perseverance, lifting ourselves up from the bootstraps. Um, but even better, we could believe in God who sees the whole picture, loves us even more than we love ourselves, and can help us, you know, live out our, our humanity even better than than we can conjure up for ourselves. So listening to this podcast, thinking of these children in this this disposition of kind of like this crouched down, small confined uh, posture looking at this little glowing screen rather than what the occupational therapist advocated, you know, looking up, reaching up and out, which when you do, if you do that, as you're listening right now, it just like expands your whole chest and neck and face upward and outward. And that's the disposition that God uh, that, that we can be in if we look up to God, we trust in God, rather than grasping after these small little things that we think are important, we think will make us happy. We look up to God with our hands open to receive rather than grasping and grabbing, but to receive in a spirit of trust, um, in divine providence, and in a God who loves us and who is capable of doing great things. Um, what, what, what different dispositions and how often the world mixes those two dispositions up. So again, the, the world often portrays God, religion, the Ten Commandments as something that confines, makes us small, puts us in a box. When in reality, if we're living uh, the, the Decalogue, these ten words, these, um, this concretization of the natural law written on our hearts, the the guidelines, the basics of being human, if we live in accordance with that, that opens us up and frees us for more, for the abundant life. And so paragraph 2057 says this, the Decalogue must first be understood in the context of the Exodus, God's great liberating event at the center of the Old Covenant. Whether formulated as negative commandments, prohibitions, or as positive precepts such as honor your father and mother, the ten words point out the conditions of a life freed from the slavery of sin. The Decalogue is a path of life. If you love the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his ordinances, then you shall live and multiply. So that comes from Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 16. Uh, the paragraph, paragraph 2057 goes on to say, this liberating power of the Decalogue appears, for example, in the commandment about the Sabbath rest, directed also to foreigners and slaves. You shall remember that you were a servant in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out thence with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. So to go back to the, the screen time analogy, let's say, um, God commands us, Every Sunday, one day a week, keep holy the Sabbath, not only go to Mass and talk to God, who started it all and continues to sustain it all, um, but rest. Okay, there, there's, there's six other days that we can work, 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 
answer emails and text messages and, you know, whatever. Do what we need to do. But just take one day to rest. God commands us to take a vacation. How many times have we heard people say and maybe experienced ourselves um, those moments where like our battery dies in our phone or we forgot our laptop somewhere or whatever, the power shut down because of a storm and we just couldn't respond to texts or emails or, you know, finish like an hour's worth of work and we were forced to or had to like take a little break. How many times have we heard people say or maybe said ourselves like, it was so nice. (laughs) It was such a treat. Like I just couldn't respond to work or I was out of a, you know, Wi-Fi or whatever out of like I didn't have reception on my phone and so I couldn't do anything. And it was actually really great. Uh, what God's commanding us in through Keep Holy the Sabbath is take a break, shut it down, put it aside, because guess what? You'll be fine, and it'll all be there Monday. Ah! So what, what God commands and what's often perceived as a burden is actually quite the opposite. It frees us. It opens us up to look up, reach up, and realize there is more to life than emails and text messages and work. And we are made for more. And in discovering that more, being open to that more, which we can't control, we don't know how the story ends. And so it's a little nerve wracking, um, especially if you're controlling like me or like I am. Um, But how wonderful and trustworthy is the God who then orchestrates these awesome, awesome things. Earlier last week, um, actually for a couple days last week, we had the readings about, um, you know, the, the man who finds the treasure sells all he has, or buries it in the field, sells all he has, and to buy that treasure, uh, he finds the pearl of great price, etc. And I was reading Bishop Arendt's Daily Gospel Reflection, and he said, you know, as we walk through the fields of life, so the analogy of the man who finds the, the treasure in the field, he said, Bishop Arendt said, be open to the inrushing of grace when you least expect it, and when it comes, give up anything that holds it back. So as we walk through the fields of life, as we journey through life and find that treasure, whatever that treasure is, so maybe at first our our Catholic faith or our Christian faith, um, but then specifically as we find the the importance, the beauty, the joy of prayer, uh, we find the, the beauty and joy to be found in the sacrament of confession, in daily reception of the Eucharist, then put it all aside and embrace that because it is a gift that's worth everything else. It's worth putting everything else aside. Whenever I am like hanging on to something or trying to control, or make something happen of my own and I'm a little like skeptical of God, like I don't know. I know I should entrust this to you. I should turn this over, but like what are you going to do or do you really do you really have this God? I picture that scene from the book of Job where Job is just has suffered all of these things and, you know, he cries out to God and God, rather than saying like, you know, I know this is so tough and you're doing great. God stands before Job or, you know, speaks to Job and says like, hi, did you separate light and dark? Did you separate land and sea? Didn't think so, buddy. But guess what? I did and uh, I've got the rest of this. So don't worry. I'm trustworthy. I know what I'm doing and I love you. So sit tight and basically buckle up for all the good things that are about to come your way. And uh, so I think um, that line and and so many lines from scripture um, 
are just great reminders that that God is God. We are not. We are finite little creatures who can only see so far and understand so much, but but God is infinite and thank God. He loves us infinitely. And so he he's not out to get us. He's not out to keep us down with these commandments and these rules, but he's out to to love us, elevate us, and and bring us to the the fullness for which he's he's created each of us. I facilitated or helped facilitate this retreat one time where um, we had students from all different schools, and I just happened to land with this group of students from a school where I did not teach, um, but they were great, really, you know, chatty and uh, interactive and and answering questions. But as we continued to talk, I started to get the vibe like, "Mm, do you actually believe this stuff? Like they they knew all the answers. They knew what to say in response to all the questions. But um, I asked at one point, I was like, so like, what do you guys think? Like, do you do you believe this? Like, does this influence your life? And one young lady spoke up kind of on behalf of, of the rest of her classmates. And uh, she said, oh, no, 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 no. We are our teachers, our theology teachers at our school. <clears throat> they actually teach us to be free thinkers. So like we we've learned this, but like we we know that like this is not actually how it is. Like we've actually like moved beyond this. Thank <laughs> like, oh, gosh. OK, first of all, um, if I thought you had thought about what you just said beforehand, I might be offended that, um, you know, you're making fun of other theology teachers elsewhere who actually do believe in this stuff, but I won't be offended. Um, secondly, my second thought was, um, do your parents know this? Because uh, they should demand their money back from your, your Catholic school if, if this is what your theology teachers are teaching you. And then lastly, I thought this is how um, – God must feel so many times, or maybe all the time, that um, so many of us, and I put myself right there, I often think, like, I know better than God, that so many of us are like these teenagers who are like, oh, this is so cute and quaint, but, like, we've evolved past this as though we're, like, patting God and the Catholic Church on the head. Like, that's cute, but, like, this doesn't really work. Um, God must feel like this all the time and think, like, hello, like I could be giving you so much more and setting you on the path to so much greatness. But like, here you are down on your little metaphorical phone, like with your head bent over and your shoulders hunched, like look up, reach up. I've got all this great stuff for you. So let's end the first half of this episode as we move into the specific Ten Commandments and then the the implications of each of the commandments. Um, Let's just pray for the grace to view for ourselves and pray for the grace for all people to view the Ten Commandments, uh, the teachings of God, as things that don't confine and hold us back, uh, but things that set us free, uh, that open us up to a life of, of freedom and grace and beauty and goodness and so much more than we could imagine for ourselves. Um, Not you know, not unmarked, did I get the double negative right, um, still filled with, with suffering because we live in a, a fallen world, um, but a, a life punctuated with, with the beauty of the transfiguration, the beauty of, of that radiant, bright face looking back at us with love, um, and then ultimately, God willing, being able to look at that face and, and live the, the fullness of life that he has for each of us forever. So we'll take a brief break and then we'll return on the second half of the episode to read paragraphs 2052 through 2082. Thanks for sticking around. You are listening to Catholic Light. 
Thank you for joining me each week as we read through the Catechism of the Catholic Church and discuss some of its beautiful teachings. Hi, and welcome back. We'll now read Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraphs 2052 through 2082. Section 2, the Ten Commandments. Teacher, what must I do? Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? To the young man who asked this question, Jesus answers first by invoking the necessity to recognize God as the one there is who is good, as the supreme good and the source of all good. Then Jesus tells him, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he cites for his questioner the precepts that concern love of neighbor. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Finally, Jesus sums up these commandments positively. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. To this first reply, Jesus adds a second. If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. This reply does not do away with the first. Following Jesus Christ involves keeping the commandments. The law has not been abolished, but rather man is invited to rediscover it in the person of his master, who is its perfect fulfillment. In the three synoptic gospels, Jesus' call to the rich young man to follow him in the obedience of a disciple and in the observance of the commandments is joined to the call to poverty and chastity. The evangelical counsels are inseparable from the commandments. Jesus acknowledged the Ten Commandments, but he also showed the power of the Spirit at work in their letter. He preached a righteousness which exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, as well as that of the Gentiles. He unfolded all the demands of the commandments. You have heard that it was said to the men of old, You shall not kill. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be liable to judgment. When someone asks him which commandment in the law is the greatest, Jesus replies, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The Decalogue must be interpreted in light of this twofold yet single commandment of love, the fullness of the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this sentence, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. The Decalogue in Sacred Scripture. The word Decalogue means literally ten words. God revealed these ten words to his people on the holy mountain. They were written with the finger of God, unlike the other commandments written by Moses. They are preeminently the words of God. They are handed on to us in the books of Exodus and Deuteronomy. Beginning with the Old Testament, the sacred books refer to the ten words, but it is in the new covenant in Jesus Christ that their full meaning will be revealed. The Decalogue must first be understood in the context of the Exodus, God's great liberating event at the center of the Old Covenant. Whether formulated as negative commandments, prohibitions, or as positive precepts such as honor your father and mother, the ten words point out the conditions of a life freed from the slavery of sin. The Decalogue is a path of life. If you love the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his ordinances, then you shall live and multiply. This liberating power of the Decalogue appears, for example, in the commandment about the Sabbath rest, directed also to foreigners and slaves. You shall remember that you were a servant in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out thence with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. The ten words sum up and proclaim God's law. 
These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain out of the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness, with a loud voice, and he added no more. And he wrote them upon two tables of stone and gave them to me. For this reason, these two tables are called the testimony. In fact, they contain the terms of the covenant concluded between God and his people. These tables of the testimony were to be deposited in the ark. The ten words are pronounced by God in the midst of a theophany. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire. They belong to God's revelation of himself and his glory. The gift of the commandments is the gift of God himself and his holy will. In making his will known, God reveals himself to his people. The gift of the commandments and of the law is part of the covenant God sealed with his own. In Exodus, the revelation of the ten words is granted between the proposal of the covenant and its conclusion. After the people had committed themselves to do all that the Lord had said and to obey it. The Decalogue is never handed on without first recalling the covenant. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. The commandments take on their full meaning within the covenant. According to scripture, man's moral life has all its meaning in and through the covenant. The first of the ten words recalls that God loved his people first. Since there was a passing from the paradise of freedom to the slavery of this world in punishment for sin, the first phrase of the Decalogue, the first word of God's commandments, bears on freedom. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The commandments properly so called come in the second place. They express the implications of belonging to God through the establishment of the covenant. Moral existence is a response to the Lord's loving initiative. It is the acknowledgement and homage given to God and a worship of thanksgiving. It is cooperation with the plan God pursues in history. The covenant and dialogue between God and man are also attested to by the fact that all the obligations are stated in the first person, I am the Lord and addressed by God to another personal subject, you. In all God's commandments, the singular personal pronoun designates the recipient. God makes his will known to each person in particular at the same time as he makes it known to the whole people. The Lord prescribed love towards God and taught justice toward neighbor, towards neighbor, so that man would be neither unjust nor unworthy of God. Thus, through the Decalogue, God prepared man to become his friend and to live in harmony with his neighbor. The words of the Decalogue remain likewise for us Christians. Far from being abolished, they have received amplification and development from the fact of the coming of the Lord in the flesh. The Decalogue in the Church's Tradition In fidelity to Scripture and in conformity with the example of Jesus, the tradition of the Church has acknowledged the primordial importance and significance of the Decalogue. Ever since St. Augustine, the Ten Commandments have occupied a predominant place in the catechesis of baptismal candidates and the faithful. In the 15th century, the custom arose of expressing the commandments of the Decalogue in rhymed formulae, easy to memorize and in positive form. They are still in use today. The catechisms of the Church have often expounded Christian morality by following the order of the Ten Commandments. The division and numbering of the commandments has varied in the course of history. The present catechism follows the division of the commandments established by St. Augustine, which has become traditional in the Catholic Church. It is also that of the Lutheran confessions. The Greek fathers worked out a slightly different division, which is found in the Orthodox churches and Reformed communities. The Ten Commandments state what is required in the love of God and love of neighbor. The first three concern love of God, and the other seven, love of neighbor. 
as charity comprises the two commandments to which the Lord related the whole law and the prophets, so the Ten Commandments were themselves given on two tablets. Three were, were written on one tablet and seven on the other. That comes from St. Augustine. The Council of Trent teaches that the Ten Commandments are obligatory for Christians and that the justified man is still bound to keep them. The Second Vatican Council confirms the bishops, successors of the apostles, receive from the Lord the mission of teaching all peoples and of preaching the gospel to every creature so that all men may attain salvation through faith, baptism, and the observance of the commandments. The unity of the Decalogue. The Decalogue forms a coherent whole. Each word refers to each of the others and to all of them. They reciprocally condition one another. The two tables shed light on one another. They form an organic unity. To transgress one commandment is to infringe all the others. One cannot honor another person without blessing God, his creator. One cannot adore God without loving all men, his creatures. The Decalogue brings man's religious and social life into unity. The Decalogue and the Natural Law The Ten Commandments belong to God's revelation. At the same time, they teach us the true humanity of man. They bring to light the essential duties and therefore indirectly the fundamental rights inherent in the nature of the human person. The Decalogue contains a privileged expression of the natural law. From the beginning, God had implanted in the heart of man the precepts of the natural law. Then he was content to remind him of them. This was the Decalogue. That's from St. Irenaeus. The commandments of the Decalogue, although accessible to reason alone, have been revealed. To attain a complete and certain understanding of the requirements of the natural law, sinful humanity needed this revelation. A full explanation of the commandments of the Decalogue became necessary in the state of sin because the light of reason was obscured and the will had gone astray. That's from St. Bonaventure. We know God's commandments through the divine revelation proposed to us in the church and through the voice of moral conscience. The Obligation of the Decalogue Since they express man's fundamental duties toward God and towards his neighbor, the Ten Commandments reveal in their primordial content grave obligations. They are fundamentally immutable, and they oblige always and everywhere. No one can dispense from them. The Ten Commandments are engraved by God in the human heart. Obedience to the commandments also implies obligations in matter, which is in itself light. Thus, abusive language is forbidden by the fifth commandment, but would be a grave offense only as a result of circumstances or the offender's intention. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. The fruit referred to in this saying is the holiness of a life made fruitful by union with Christ. When we believe in Jesus Christ, partake of his mysteries, and keep his commandments, the Savior himself comes to love, in us, his Father and his brethren, our Father and our brethren. His person becomes, through the Spirit, the living and interior rule of our activity. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. In brief, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? If you would enter into life, keep the commandments. By his life and by his preaching, Jesus attested to the permanent validity of the Decalogue. The gift of the Decalogue is bestowed from within the covenant concluded by God with his people. God's commandments take on their true meaning in and through this covenant. In fidelity to scripture and in conformity with Jesus' example, the tradition of the church has always acknowledged the primordial importance and significance of the Decalogue. 
The Decalogue forms an organic unity in which each word or commandment refers to all the others taken together. To transgress one commandment is to infringe the whole law. The Decalogue contains a privileged expression of the natural law. It is made known to us by divine revelation and by human reason. The Ten Commandments and their fundamental content state grave obligations. However, obedience to these precepts also implies obligations in matter, which is in itself light. What God commands, he makes possible by his grace. This brings us to the end of our reading selection, the end of our episode. Between this week and next week's episode, please pray for me. I'll be praying for you. And in the meantime, God bless you. Thanks for joining me this week on Catholic Light. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with your family and your friends. And connect with me through Facebook and Instagram. I'll see you next week. And in the meantime, God bless you.